Amen. You can be seated. And if you would, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Doesn't this platform look tremendous? It just looks awesome. And poinsettias are kind of like the style of Christmas for churches. And so many a poinsettia will feel the touch of the Holy Ghost this morning across America. Amen. But the Lord's blessed us and... Uh, I'm excited to see what God's going to do in the house of the Lord this morning, aren't you? Yes. Amen. The possibilities are unlimited. We just got to be ready for it. Now, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, we're going to read a couple verses here that are pertinent this morning. You can see the title in your bulletin there is The Better High Priest. The Better High Priest. How many is here for Tuesday night prayer meetings? You know, we walked through the tabernacle plan. You're privileged to do that today, but there was a time when there was a select few that would get anywhere near that tabernacle. And that's what we're going to talk about. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, it says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, well, it can only be talking about Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then there's this interesting phrase that I want you to, to pay attention to this morning. Think about it. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When somebody wants mercy, it's kind of hard to imagine them coming boldly to get mercy from somebody. What's up with that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I want to read another section of scriptures in Numbers chapter 18. This is also in your bulletin, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. And thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee that they may be joined unto thee and minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons will be with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. And they shall keep thy charge and the charge of all the tabernacle. Only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar, that neither they nor ye also die. And they shall be joined unto thee and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle. And a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. And ye shall keep the charge of the sanctuary and the charge of the altar that there be no wrath anymore upon the children of Israel. This, this is God's will. He does, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Amen. And I behold... I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift of the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle 
of the congregation. God gave a gift. You know, we get the gift of the Holy Ghost. We get the gifts of the Spirit. It's a gift to be able to walk through the tabernacle in prayer. Now, as a priest, you have that opportunity. It's a gift of God to be able to do that and to walk into His presence. Yeah. Amen. A gift of the Lord. Verse 7, Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil. Everybody say the veil. The and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of a gift. He says again, And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Nobody else but you and the people that I have chosen to go inside this temple. And so we're going to delve into this job of the priest for a minute in the tabernacle and the situation and how it's changed for us today. If, uh, if you've ever paid much attention to government in our nation, you know that many times a president will be young enough that he's got children that he's still raising in office with him. And that's true today. Our president has children, but he's got a son that is still being raised. And he has special access to one of the most powerful human beings in the world. He's got daily access that you do not have to this person. Our previous president had that too. He had some daughters that every day they had the opportunity of going and knocking on the president of the United States door and getting his opinion on something, speaking something in his ear that they had an opinion about. It's an inside contact that not everybody else is so privileged to have. And it's all because of the fact that this man belongs to them. It's different. He doesn't belong to you and me because he's not blood relative, really. But he belongs to that child. They had that unique access to the president. And occasionally, one gets those moments of belonging where perhaps, just as an example, you've had an uncle or a relative um, who manages a business and they allow you to kind of see behind the scenes, take you backstage, maybe at a concert or something that they're running, because of the fact that they belong to you, you have a special access that not everybody else has. And prior to Jesus, we had no human representation in heaven. There was a disconnect. And we didn't have that representation on that higher level. But when he came down and robed himself in flesh, the Bible says, and he died on a cross, and the Bible says that he ascended to heaven, all of a sudden now we have a human representation on our behalf by the name Jesus. And he belongs to us because he's like us. And so this morning... It ought to excite you to know the fact that you've got a connection with somebody that's way up higher than anybody else. 
And it's not just that He's God, but He was fully man. And He knows what you're dealing with and what you've dealt with. And so when you pray to Him, it's not somebody that doesn't understand what you're going through. He's been through it and more. He understands and He loves you. And He belongs to you. You've got a connection today that really everybody else has, but they don't necessarily take advantage of. That's the key this morning. Are you going to take advantage of the greatest connection that's ever been made in history? That's who Jesus is to us. The writer in Hebrews offered us such a great hope, but I just wonder after falling, failing in sin, how is it that somebody who's failed can come boldly before the throne of grace. The natural instinct would be in shame to approach a throne that you've disrespected. It seems hard to fathom this morning that God would encourage an attitude of boldness after committing erroneous acts of sin in His eyes. If today you were convicted of a crime and you had to go to court and you're standing in front of the judge, you're not going to uh, say boldly to that judge, here's what you're going to do, judge. You're going to let me go of this sentence. I can promise you that's probably not going to work out for you too well. It's not natural. It doesn't make sense by human order after you've done a wrong to boldly approach the throne of grace. But that's God. He runs on a different channel than everything else. He's not just human. He's fully God too. And He has His own way of doing things separate from everybody else. And He says you can come boldly before the throne of grace. It would seem that sacrifice is in order. And that's what they had to do when the temple was there. Now this morning, you are so lucky. You don't really even understand how lucky you are that we don't have to kill a goat this morning. (coughs) We don't have to deal with all of that. We don't have to burn it. You don't have to make sure that we've cleaned an animal or anything like that and go through that process. Anybody thankful for that this morning? Now, we have, before this church was fully built, somebody killed a deer. And uh, it needed to be skinned and cleaned, you know. And we had beams up and somebody just brought the deer over. I think we had the concrete slab still, wouldn't it? And so it, it could be this morning that if we pulled carpet up in the back sanctuary, you might find blood stains. I don't know. But we strung this deer up and put it over a rope over a beam and, and cleaned it right here. And so uh, we weren't making a sacrifice for sins, but somebody got some good deer meat. Hallelujah. You don't have to make a sacrifice like that today. Thank God for that. Amen. Because one sacrifice, yes. one time, yes. by the one person that mattered, yes. Yes. was enough. Not just to cover your sins, but a multitude of sins. 
for everybody, everywhere. Amen. Well, that ought to excite somebody this morning. Amen. You don't have to continually keep sacrificing animals. Just one sacrifice He made is all it took. Yeah. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen. You don't have to make a sacrifice. And yes, there's coming a day of judgment for those who have not found grace. But we're living in a season. We, we need to understand this and we can't just move past it because you've already repented and received the Holy Ghost and been baptized. We can't move past this. We're living in a season of grace. Yes. And it's not always going to be here. There's coming a day when that season will pass. There's going to be a small season of judgment. And it's the end of days. And the, the people who have received that grace are going to rule and reign with Him. And there's going to be eternal damnation for those who have not accessed that grace. i tell you what that says to me. This time frame is essential, folks. This time frame of grace is essential. Amen. And we don't need to fear Him and be afraid of God, but we need to approach Him in humble boldness, believing with confidence that His promises are everlasting. And if He says that His blood will cover a multitude of sins, that means my sins. It will cover my sins. Amen. So this boldness, what, what, what is this boldness the Scripture is talking about? A quality that to some is out of line or unnecessary being a Christian. But really, let's be honest in this room, what about Pentecost is timid? Is our singing timid? Is our worship timid? Is our preaching timid? Why in the world should our approach to God be timid? Amen. That's good. Not saying we need to be rude this morning. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm talking about acting in the confidence of His power. Right. Not demanding a judge to do something. That's not our place. I'm talking about having confidence that if I ask Him to do it and it's in His will that He would do it, it's going to get done. Yeah. Right. And so I can be bold in approaching Him because of that. If we know His blood will cover a multitude of sins, why do I need to be timid about that? Why do I need to be timid about the power of God? You ought not be. Amen. And while there's certainly a place for being humble, we ought to certainly make our worship bold. Amen. We ought to make our witnessing bold. Yes. We ought to make our prayers bold. Because we serve a God that does bold things. Yes. Amen. Amen. And a bold God deserves a bold praise. Yes. Somebody said, little God, little praise. Big God, big praise. And what is He to you today? What can you demonstrate to show what He is to you today? We ought to be a bold church. Come on, somebody. Come on. We ought to be a bold right. church. Make His praise bold. Yes. Who says we can't be? Why can't we be a bold church? Matter of fact, who says we can't be the biggest congregation in town? That's right. Who says we can't? Who says we can't be the best giving church Come on. around here? 
We're getting there, folks. I'll tell you what. Did you know I found out just, just this past uh, Saturday that for She's for Christ, we didn't give the biggest offering in our section, but per capita, we did. That's right. For the size of the church that we have, we definitely did. Who says we can't be the biggest given church? Who says revival can't break out this Come morning? Now. That's right. Hallelujah. See, the problem is, in our constraints of what we think ought to be done, we limit God in what can be done. Right. But if for a minute we could take the limits off of God and say, Lord, we're not going to put you in this little space and box of what we think you ought to do or what you can do. We're going to take the limits off of that yes. and believe you for the best that you can do. Amen. In my life, in my church, in my family, how do we limit God? You better take the limits off God this morning and be bold on His behalf because our God does bold things. It's not some timid that will. I guess let there be light, you know. No, 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 no. It was darkness. He said, let it be. And the scripture says, and it was. Yes. That's right. And several things. He would say, let it be. And it was. And then the scripture would say, and it was good. Yes. There's not much bolder than that. Right. He would do it. And he would call it good. That's bold. Amen. So we read this scripture here and in contrast to the free access that these priests had to the holy place, the most holy place, you know, there was another area, the most holy place in the tabernacle could only be entered into by the high priest. And he could enter into it only once each year at the Day of Atonement. It's actually believed that he would go in twice on that day. There's some that believe he would go in three times on that day, but only that one day. And after the high priest concluded this ceremony, he returned into the holy place and he sprinkled some of the blood of the bull and the goat on the altar of incense. And when it was all being conducted, no other priest could enter the temple except the high priest. Amen. And since the events of the Day of Atonement were symbolic for a far greater reality, which was the ultimate atonement of Jesus, His blood that covers all sins, the restriction of this holy place and the most holy place might represent the exclusivity of Jesus' sacrifice. There's only one person that can enter, and there's only one person who can die for everybody's sins and make it right. Right. And so you've got this high priest that he's called for way back when. He's the only one that could go in. But there would only be one who could go in to the cross and die for everybody's sins. And true cleansing from sin is provided not by the work of Jesus Christ and someone else, but only His work. It's only Him. You are not saved by a sermon. You were not saved by a preacher. You were saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. And any sermon that took part in it was given by Him too. And any anointed man of God, that anointing was given by Him too. It's all the work of Jesus that saves anybody. It's only Jesus that heals anybody. We can't take part in it. Amen. It's only Jesus that allows you to be able to give as much as you can. It's only Him. 
He deserves the glory. And it's only Him that saves anybody. Amen. And so the priests and the Levites served in this tabernacle under the law of Moses. Aaron and his descendants, his male descendants, were to serve as priests. And Aaron was from this tribe of Levi, the Levites. And the rest of the male offspring of Levi would fill other functions in the tabernacle. This was their, only them, their responsibility with the tabernacle. And the high priest went behind that veil once a year. Once a year. At the Day of Atonement. He would bring blood with him as he entered into this tabernacle. And first he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat and he would make atonement for him in his house before he would anybody else. And then after exiting the most holy place, he had to kill a goat and re-enter the building and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And so it was him first and then the people. He would cleanse himself in his own household. Others were not allowed to approach God without seeing death at the time. And uh, if, if anybody at all, anybody, the scripture made it clear that we read this morning. You can look at it again in your bulletin. If they approached that most holy place, the Lord had made it clear they would see death. They would see death. And Levites who were not descendants of Aaron were assigned non-priestly duties in relation to the tabernacle. And uh, they were not to come near the altar and the furnishings of the tabernacle on penalty of death. This was a very strict policy set in order by God. And it reflects what was really a prohibition on the Israelites ascending Sinai after their initial refusal to do so. Do you know that's actually what happened? They were invited to come up Mount Sinai with Moses. It wasn't just that God said, I want Moses and nobody else on this mountain. That was not the case at all. And I'm going to show you this morning. This is really interesting. This, this is why it's great to study your Bible. Yes. Find out things you didn't realize were so. After God called Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, he said, and I quote this morning, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye, everybody say ye, ye. shall serve God upon this mountain. The word that's translated ye is in the second person plural form, referring not only to Moses, but at the beginning of that scripture, we just read all the people that you're bringing out of Egypt are to come with you to serve God upon this mountain. And the most accurate translations include all of you will worship me on this mountain. And you and they will serve God on this mountain. It's very clear today what God expected. And the point is, God wanted all the people to join Moses in an intimate relationship with God on the mountain. And we know that's not what happened. Right. Hear me this morning. This is a key point. I don't want you to miss this. The people had an opportunity to, like Moses, 
have God Almighty not only talk with them and tell them what he wanted, but you remember he passed before Moses? Mm, mm, mm. They had an opportunity for God to pass before them and Moses' face would be shining or illuminated, the Bible says, as he descended the mountain. But hear me right now. The only way that you'll be able to experience the moment of God moving before you is if you're willing to ascend the mountain of relationship with Him. If you want to see a strong, who wants to see a move of God in your life? Yes, amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Come on. You, you, you love to see God just shake things up and win some of your family, answer some prayers. Amen. That you've been praying for a while. Hallelujah. You want to see God move in a great way. You want to see Him do things unprecedented. We believe God's going to do that around here. Yes. But if you want to get to that place, You've got to ascend the mountain of relationship with Him. Yeah. You're not going to get there without prayer. That's right. All these things, these wondrous things of God that we want to see, it's not that it's all just going to come free and just fall into our laps. I believe some of it, God wants to see some commitment. Yes. He wants right. to see that I'm willing to climb up a mountain of relationship with Him. And, and, and the hard places, you know, for a while climbing is okay, but then you get to a rough spot and it begins to work wrinkles out of your life. You know what that is? That's God ministering holiness to you. Right. Sure. You've got to find a struggle where God works things out of your life that maybe you didn't even realize did not need to be there. You didn't know. It wasn't made clear to you, but in your relationship and the progress of your walk up that mountain, the struggle gets the wrinkles out of your life. Has anybody experienced that? Can I get a witness this morning? Amen. God's changed you. And it wasn't necessarily just in that crazy, amazing moment in the altar where the Holy Ghost was sweeping through. And I don't, I don't diminish those things. That's wonderful. But there's times once you get out of that and you're back home, you realize this right here is in my life is not of God. And it's got to go. The best moves of God sometimes come later on after we've consecrated ourselves even more. We're sanctified by God the more. We've left things behind. This is, this is the holiness that God works. This is what God does. Over time, He changes us and transforms us. What does the Bible say? Transformed by the renewing of our mind. Yes. That we may prove. Anybody quote the rest of it? What is that good and perfect? Acceptable? It's the will of God yes. that that happens. It's not God just descends and does this great and mighty move. There's some struggle in it. We're not going to fib to you today and tell you that you just, you know, you just decide to serve God today and it's smooth sailing for the rest of your life and God's going to bless you with money and jobs and all this. Praise the Lord. That's, you know, God may do some of that, but we're not going to tell you for a minute there's not going to be any struggle. This is how God works. This is the holiness of God today. Amen. And we have to be willing to ascend that mountain. 
A close reading of Exodus chapter 19, if you want to go back and study it yourself, it indicates that God wanted something better for Israel than what transpired on Mount Sinai. He wanted better. First, God wanted to establish a faith covenant with His people. That was the goal of God. The word believe. Everybody say believe. believe. That is the language of faith. I believe. Right. Amen. You, you ever pray, you want to have faith, you need to tell God, I believe you will do it. Yes. I believe you will heal me. I believe you will save them. That's the language of faith. And he wanted to establish a faith covenant with his people. But what resulted at Sinai was a consequence of their refusal to worship God. And we know that that's when they built the golden calf and they began to worship it. And Galatians 3 and 12 says, And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Amen. It was a faith covenant. Second, God wanted to make of Israel a nation of priests. He just had the exclusive priests. But he said, I want to make them all priests. Every one of them. Had this happened, the people of Israel would have all been privileged to enter into that intimate relationship with God. They would experience what Moses did on top of that mountain and even more, far more that we'll never know about because it didn't happen. Instead, Israel became a nation with priests, only one of them who could enter the most holy place one day each year. But this promise would finally be fulfilled in the church. And I'm going to take it to you right now. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Yes. This is New Testament. You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. And a peculiar people. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And today, we can say He's accomplished His purpose. We can be priests Amen. in His presence. Amen. You don't have to allow somebody else to walk into His throne room without you. You can walk in yourself That's right. and have a little talk with Jesus. Amen. You don't have to ask somebody, well, what has God got to say to me today? Amen. You can walk right in yourself and stand on holy ground. And talk to Him. And guess what? God talks back. He talks back. Amen. And this is what we have today. The third thing God wanted to do. God invited all of those delivered from Egypt to worship Him on the mountain. And this they refused. Many people are, you're just, you know, you can just be used to reading Exodus 19 as don't come up the mountain, just Moses. That's not what it was. It was, however, only to give people time to sanctify themselves in preparation for a visitation from God. And they missed out on it. They would not ascend the mountain. They missed out because they would not ascend the mountain. And after the third day, there'd be a long trumpet blast after which the people were to then climb up the mountain and be there with Him. And when the Lord descended on Sinai, the people responded in fear rather than faith. They did not go up into the mountain, but they stood at its foot. 
And this resulted in a warning from God that only Moses and Aaron would ascend up this mountain. Had they obeyed God's command to worship on Sinai, they would have avoided a disastrous episode of the golden calf. They wouldn't have had to partake of the golden calf themselves if they had obeyed God. But in fear, they stood at the foot of the mountain. What a shame it is to think that they missed out on such a massive earth-shaking event on Mount Sinai because they would only stand at its foot. Ankle deep. Not even ankle deep in the presence of God. You know what that tells me this morning? I don't want to miss out on a blessing because I was too timid or afraid to just get ankle deep. I want to get on that diving board Amen. and jump head first into the presence of God. Amen. Somebody wants to get the Holy Ghost, that's what you got to tell them. Don't just tiptoe into it. Dive into it. Into the presence of God and worship Him and see if He won't fill you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. With evidence of speaking in another tongue. The new covenant was going to be administered by Jesus who the scripture calls the great high priest. Jesus, the son of God. He would replace Aaron, the Levites, and our high priest. The term son of God requires an incarnation. Is anybody glad that God didn't just do all this from up high on the throne, but he actually come down and, and did it himself. Amen. Died on a cross. This is Christmas season, and we celebrate that he was born, but you can't separate the birth from the cross. That's right. It's magnificent just the fact that he would come down into a sinful world around us and experience that and not just stay up where he was at on his throne. He got down in the muck and the grind of sin and lived around it, experienced temptation, the Bible says, like you and I do, and lived through it that he might die for our sins. Amen. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, sickness. Amen. The reason why? So one day he could heal you. Yes. He Thank suffered you. temptation, so one day he'd be able to help you through the temptation you suffered. Thank you. Amen. Yes. Amen. He yes. was tempted in all points as we are, the scripture said. Though he did not sin, he was genuinely tempted. <laughs> Amen. And today, God wants us to come to him. And the reason that we can do that is because the scripture said that there was a tearing of the veil right. in the tabernacle. Yes. Right. That separated, the veil separated that holy place from the most holy place. Where you'd walk in and the very presence of God was right there in front of you. Only access to certain people. You know what Jesus did? He ripped that veil. Scripture actually says that that veil was strong enough that it could not be ripped apart by teams of oxen. But God ripped it apart in one instant. Yes. 
And opened up a door that's still wide open today. Matter of fact, the doorway's still open to you where you're sitting right now. That's right. That you can walk into the most holy place and reach out and maybe not physically, but certainly spiritually touch the hem of his garment. Yes, Lord. And if you need it, healing virtue can flow out to you today. Oh, hallelujah. If you need it, saving grace can go out to you today. If you need peace in your mind, it can go out to you today because the veil's been ripped. Yes, Lord. Amen. It's not just open so some preacher or pastor or evangelist can only walk through it on your behalf. You can step in. And not just stand at the foot of a mountain. Come on. Hallelujah. You can ascend today. I feel the Holy Ghost. You don't have to just stand flat footed on the earth this morning, but you can ascend into a most holy place where God can touch your life. Amen. I just want to talk to somebody this morning and tell you, if you feel like you're living a boring life, you ought to just take a step up the mountain this morning. Take a step up. Come on, move a little bit. And before you know it, you're going to be in the throne room of God. Don't quit moving just because you feel a little touch and you think, well, I felt God today. No, 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 no. He wants to do something in your life. Amen. Keep moving. We said keep it moving. Amen. And eventually you get a momentum and God breaks through. Come on. And He changes things. Somebody wave your hand and say, I've been changed. Come on. This is a testimony to you right now. There's some changed people in this room because they've ascended a mountain, praise God, where a veil was ripped. The presence of God is before us. And he says, when you step in, timidly approach the throne of grace. Cautiously approach the throne of grace. With worry, approach it. In sorrow, approach it. No, no, no. Boldly approach my throne is what God says. Amen. His identification with humanity, Jesus, in His temptation and in His suffering like infirmities as we do, makes Him sympathetic to everything you deal with today. He understands. He knows. It's kind of a cliche, but God knows what you're dealing with. He knows exactly what you're going through. Isn't it comforting to know that God knows exactly where we're at? He sees you. He's got pinpoint location. And He knows what you're going through today. And that term, throne of grace, indicates that God who sits on His throne is characterized and identified by grace toward His children. It's not just a throne of judgment, folks. It's a throne of grace. Amen. It's a throne of grace. Amen. And I've said this before, but I just want to repeat it. 
We're not here to down people because they're still struggling with sins. We don't just serve a just judge. We serve a graceful God. Yes, amen. Amen. And it's not our job to beat people over the head. We just need to let the grace of God work in their life and He'll change them. Yes, Lord. And He'll change you. That's the grace. It's a throne of grace that God has. And we're blessed because we can come into that throne and talk to Him at any time. Jesus stands ever ready at any time of need to offer grace and mercy to every one of us. And it's our job. He's sitting on the throne. He's instructed us to come boldly. Yes. Everybody say bold. Oh. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Come boldly before the throne of grace. I want to ask you something this morning. When you approach God in prayer, do you come to Him with a sense of shame and fear? Or do you come with confidence? Confidence that He's waiting on you to extend mercy and grace. It's one thing when you're repenting. We don't need to be proud of the things that we're repenting for to God. I'm not telling you that this morning, but I am telling you, if you really believe that God will do it, if you got faith, we need to talk to Him like that. You know, He would turn to somebody when He was walking the streets here on earth. Somebody say, my daughter needs healed. And I know if you'll just come, she'll be healed. That's bold talk. There's a woman who just knows if I can just touch the hem of his garment. That's bold thinking. And it moves God because you know what he did? He turned around, stopped his teaching. That everybody thought was so much more important than this woman. And he said, who touched me? That boldness of that woman spoke to God and moved him. Now, if you want to move God in this house this morning, the only thing that I can imagine, well, the only thing that I would want to do is give Him some bold worship. Talk to Him. Boldly. Not, not boldly saying, well, this is what I want, but boldly, this is what I know you can do. Amen. I know you're a healing God. Yes. Amen. And you don't fail on your promises. I know you're a powerful God. And you don't ever fail us. God, you said you'd do it. And I believe you'll do it. And you worship like He's already done it. Oh Lord, I wonder what would happen this morning. Amen. I wonder what would happen this morning. Amen. Amen. Matter of fact, I'm going to challenge you right now. I know this is Sunday morning teaching. You'll just have to deal with it. I got the mic. I want to challenge you. When we get to worshiping here in just a minute. What would a bold praise look like? 
I know, I know you've got about a regular praise you do on Sunday morning. Sometimes I look over here, I'm, you know, I'm on the drums or over here or something, and I see one of these ladies or Brother March grab a tambourine. Because they wanted to make their praise a little bit bold. Sometimes you got to step out and do something a little bit different. But when you do, it'll move God. And He'll turn around and say, Who touched me? Who, who climbed that tree above the rest? I'm coming to your house. You would give all you had? That lady two mites? Oh, I'm going to give her special attention today. What is the boldness of praise in your life this morning? What can it be? Would you lift your hands toward heaven right now? Come on. Come on now. I've said it. I've challenged you. Let's not neglect it now. Somebody lift up a bold praise to the Lord right now. Don't worry about anybody around you. Don't worry about what somebody might think.